So they don't care about public warnings or public safety. Tonight, execution in Richmond, the latest hit in the pandemic gang war. Plus, the environmental fallout from two emergencies and the concerns for returning salmon also. Build it and they'll come, but build it downtown. The man who built Rogers Arena, 25 years later, a look back at opening day. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening, I'm Jordan Armstrong. Colleen Christie is away. Metro Vancouver is once again the scene of a shooting spree. Two people are dead after five separate shootings in five days. The latest happened last night at a Richmond restaurant and caught in the crosshairs an alleged gangster well known to police. Kristen Robinson has our top story. Bullet holes in a Richmond Japanese restaurant mark the scene of the Lower Mainland's latest gang-style shooting. That is a planned uh, execution for whatever reason. Two men shot here Friday night, one of them in his 40s, dead. It sounded like automatic gunfire. Fast, fast fire, just... Burrah. Sources confirmed to Global News that Paul King Jin, the number one loan shark tracked in the RCMP's massive e-pirate money laundering investigation, was wounded in a targeted attack and a criminal associate killed. You're really not going to stop these guys. It, wherever they find one another, they're going to kill one another. Metro Vancouver hit with five shootings in five days, the gunfire stretching from Surrey to Vancouver and Richmond. Monday, a man police say is linked to gang conflict survived a shooting in Newton. Wednesday, 23-year-old Ichabal Graywall gunned down and killed in front of a South Vancouver home, a burnt-out vehicle found in Richmond. Thursday, a man known to police survived another shooting in Surrey, a torched vehicle found nearby. Hours later in Richmond, two vehicles exchanged gunfire at a gas station. Then Friday's restaurant hit. It could be in a McDonald's parking lot, it could be in front of a school, it could be at the beach. They don't care. Former VPD gang squad officer Doug Spencer now works with the Odd Squad, educating youth about the risks of poor choices. You really gotta like, get right to the crux of it and tell these kids what's up because uh, the next thing you know you're going to be at their, your kid's funeral. As RCMP gather evidence in Richmond, Spencer says the gun violence is likely not over. The friends of these dead guys want payback. If they have any idea through their sources who did it and they have access to those guys, they'll go get them. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Opponents of a safe injection site on Vancouver Island voiced their concerns today. Dozens of Duncan residents marched through the streets to protest the location of the new Cowichan Wellness and Recovery Center, set to open next year. The facility will be operated by the Lookout Society and will include an overdose prevention site. Opponents say the center will be within 500 meters of four schools, two of them elementary schools. No one is saying that this community does not need a safe injection site. All we're saying is it does not have to be within four to 500 meters of schools. Just because you're in a bad place does not give you permission to become lawless, to destroy property, have sex in public, and make it unsafe for others to use public property. 
Island Health is aware of the community's concerns and says the new center will have security and needle pickup. It adds that balancing the comfort, safety and security of neighborhoods with the urgent and increasing need for mental health and substance use services is ongoing work. Two back-to-back -back emergencies along the Fraser River this week could spell disaster for local salmon populations. Part of New Westminster's Pier Park caught fire Sunday night, sending burning creosote pilings into the water. That was followed hours later by a massive train derailment outside of Hope. As Paul Johnson reports, these incidents have worsened fears about the struggling sockeye return. Still smoldering. Almost a week after fire destroyed most of New Westminster's riverfront Pier Park, Officials tell Global News they expect the smoke to continue until the entire deck is torn off and hauled away. That means days, if not weeks, of heavy demolition work and an unknown amount of creosote-soaked debris washing into the Fraser River. It could be very significant in terms of causing problems for salmon. Jason Wang is vice president of the Pacific Salmon Foundation. He's concerned that a perfect storm of events has emerged to put more pressure on Fraser River salmon. A big bar landslide near Clinton, a train derailment near Hope that spilled potash into the river, on top of whatever damage the pier fire and demolition could do. In a year when the Fraser River's iconic sockeye runs appear to be in a state of crisis. The uh, Fraser River sockeye population this year has been very noteworthy by because it's been the worst sockeye return ever in the history of the Fraser River. While sockeye is a top concern, other species of salmon are swimming past the fire scene to spawn right now. There's also the possibility that juvenile salmon get exposed to the debris as tides push the water as far upriver as Mission. Chuck Puckmeyer is a New Westminster City Councillor. I personally don't know what the impact of putting millions of liters of water mixed with creosote ash uh, into the river. I, I'm not sure what that impact is. Well, that's an unknown. One veteran scientist with a background in conservation pointed out that wood pilings and piers saturated with creosote have been in the river for a very long time. Though it's no reason to lower our concern for the Fraser salmon the many threats they face. Well, the Fraser River is one of the greatest salmon rivers in the world. We're lucky to have that with us in British Columbia. In New Westminster, Paul Johnson, Global News. Another casualty of the New Westminster fire was the WOW art installation. Time-lapse video from a global viewer shows crews having to remove the public art piece made out of shipping containers from the Timber Wharf on Wednesday. The city of New Westminster says engineers and firefighters worked diligently to develop a plan to try to safely remove the sculpture and maintain the integrity of the installation, but it could not be saved. It's too early to know yet if there will be plans to replace it. Right now, you know, the focus is to um, deal with um, the rest of the fire uh, situation. Um, and um, at this point, um, there's no plans um, in, the, in you know, we haven't made any decisions around the future at this point. Mandatory masks and temperature checks are coming to Vancouver Island's largest mall. Starting Monday, customers at Woodgrove Centre in Nanaimo will have to wear face coverings in all public areas while temperature stations will be installed at entrances. Guests must pass the check before entry. The mall has been under new ownership since September 1st. 
management reviewed COVID-19 protocols and decided to up the safety game with the new procedures. Woodgrove understands some visitors may be unable to comply for health reasons and says no one will be insulted, forced or escorted off the property for not wearing a mask. I think if it's mandatory to wear a mask into a store, you should do it. It's, um, it's part of being respectful to the people who own the store. So for the conditions right now, I believe the policy to be a good one. You know, there is the people that just refuse to wear them, but most people are abiding to the rules. I personally think it's a good idea. Yes. I, yeah. We both work in places, businesses that wear, we have to wear masks. I feel comfortable wearing masks in public. Drivers were surprised to find a highway sign near Smithers changed to political messaging. Among the slogans scrolling by, Trump 2020 and COVID is a hoax. We tried to get information on whether the signs had been hacked, but we have not yet received a response from the city. One person has been charged after an attack on a young woman aboard a Vancouver bus and a Good Samaritan this past May. 37-year-old Star Marie Payou is charged with assault and assault with a weapon in what transit police describe as an apparent hate crime. Payou is accused of ridiculing and mocking a 17-year-old passenger and telling her, your smile is making me want to punch you in the face. Police say the female suspect punched the teen in the head several times, partially knocking off her hijab. Payu also allegedly brandished a knife and used her boots to hit a good Samaritan who followed her off the bus in the downtown east side. She is due in court next week. Well, we can all take a deep breath. The air quality advisory for Metro Vancouver has been lifted. For the first time in more than a week, you can actually make out the sails of Canada Place from the Cypress Lookout in West Vancouver. The advisory, due to wildfire smoke from afar, had been in place since September 8th. Environment Canada warns pockets of local smoke are still visible in parts of the region. Meteorologist Yvonne Schell will have the forecast a bit later. Theatre companies in Vancouver are trying to start their fall season by welcoming live audiences back. One of the first out of the gate will be a production by the Arts Club Theatre later this month. But like everything else, nothing is the same. And everyone on the stage and behind the scenes is adjusting to the new normal, hoping it won't be curtains for their beloved industry. Here's Nadia Stewart. You go see a show in order to escape. It's Allie Watson is excited to be back on stage for a play with a message that's close to her heart. This play really speaks to me because I, I felt a lot of that anger and stuff as a kid because I just didn't, I didn't understand why people didn't really get who I was. The play is titled No Child. It tells the story of a substitute drama teacher in the Bronx who refuses to give up on a group of troubled youth. Here in Vancouver, the story is being told by two actors, Watson and Celia Aloma. It is a new creative solution for the Arts Club. We have done this unusual thing of double casting this one-person show. So we have two amazing actresses who are alternating performances. We've been able to rehearse with them in bubbles from each other. So they have their own stage managers and they'll have, once we get into performance, their own crews. The pandemic brought an abrupt end to 25 of the Arts Club's productions. That's a year and a half worth of shows, cutting off their most relied upon revenue stream, theatergoers. Now shows are streamed online and audiences are limited to 50 people, an unsustainably low number, but a welcome first step. We're having to take these baby steps to actually get 
these venues open and actually to start bringing some people in if there was an outbreak i'm sure that would just end it right there and we would all be back to a virtual only type scenario wearing a mask will be required at all times it's why the arts club is doing everything it can to keep the audience safe so they can focus on what's happening on stage it's very rare that you get a play where you play a woman of color where these characters are fully flushed and the powerful message aloma doesn't want them to miss the fact that there's like 16 different characters that i can explore that are black and hispanic is is wonderful that's it it brings um emotions to the forefront i'm getting emotional talking about it opening night is september 24th nadia stork global news there was hope in the beginning of march that we would stop having to change our clocks twice a year with the campaign to be on daylight saving time permanently Premier John Horgan even asked British Columbians if we wanted to go it alone without the rest of the Pacific Northwest when it comes to stopping the time change. But soon after the pandemic hit, the Premier's office confirmed clocks will fall back again on Sunday, November 1st, saying in part, I think it's quite clear that in the middle of a pandemic, making changes to daylight saving is not an urgent issue on people's minds. The legislation we passed gives us the ability to wait and monitor the proceedings in the United States. On a less serious note, I don't think anyone is looking forward to an extra hour of 2020 right now. Welcome back. John Turner has died at the age of 91. The country's 17th prime minister died in his sleep at his Toronto home last night. Here in B.C., he was a budding track star and Rhodes Scholar at UBC and was the MP in Vancouver Quadra during the 1980s. Ross Lord has more on his lasting impact, despite having served just 79 days in office as Prime Minister. He was the golden boy of Canadian politics, a brilliant scholar, a superb athlete, fluently bilingual and good-looking. When he entered politics in 1962, the future looked bright for John Turner. Lester Pearson made him a cabinet minister, and in 1968, just six years after entering politics, a young Turner ran for the Liberal leadership. But he came up short, defeated by an even more charismatic politician, Pierre Trudeau. Turner served as Justice and Finance Minister under Trudeau, but in 1975, he shocked Canadians by resigning. Amidst rumours, he got tired of butting heads with Trudeau. Turner retreated to life as a corporate lawyer, but he did not abandon his political ambitions. The two leaders. In 1984, Pierre Trudeau quit and Turner assumed the role of prodigal son, returning to assume the leadership of the Liberal Party. 1,862. At the convention, Turner beat Jean Chrétien, was sworn in as Prime Minister, and almost immediately called an election. Those facts are not correct. I think they are. That campaign saw Turner on the receiving end of one of the most definitive knockout punches of Canadian politics. Before resigning, Pierre Trudeau made 200 patronage appointments, and Turner had to defend them when he debated Conservative leader Brian Mulroney. You had an option, sir. You could have said, I am not going to do it. This is wrong for Canada. The Liberals were bulldozed in the 84 election, winning just 40 seats. But Turner held on, holding fast in the face of backroom grumbling and Liberal infighting. In the 1988 election, he thought he'd found the issue that would propel him back to power. 
free trade. Turner arguing powerfully it was a deal that would destroy Canada. I happen to believe that you've sold us out. Turner's stronger performance did win the Liberals more seats, but they still came a distant second to Brian Mulroney's Conservatives. It's uh, my intention to resign as leader of the Liberal Party of Canada. Soon after, Turner resigned as Liberal leader, staying on as an MP until 1993. The golden boy, having tasted as much defeat as victory in his political career. Ross Lord, Global News. Two federal party leaders who both tested positive for COVID-19 say they are feeling well, with only one of them experiencing mild symptoms. Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole announced late last night that he had received a positive test. He's said to have a sore throat. His family tested negative. O'Toole was elected as the Tories' new leader just last month. Hours earlier, Bloc Québécois leader Yves-Francois Blanchette announced he had tested positive. A party statement says he feels perfectly well. His wife had tested positive earlier in the week. He will be required to isolate until at least September 26th, O'Toole until at least October 1st. That means both will be unable to attend next week's throne speech in person. The Ontario government is limiting social gatherings across that province for the next 28 days. Only 10 people will be allowed in the same space inside and 25 people will be allowed to gather outside as the province records another 407 new COVID-19 cases today. Previously, 25 were permitted to gather indoors and 100 outdoors. The new limits came into effect immediately. They will be used to crack down on illicit private social gatherings and will not apply to businesses like restaurants, movie theaters or places of worship. Americans are mourning the sudden passing of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. The champion of women's rights and gender equality died last night after a battle with pancreatic cancer. Her death immediately threw a new wrench into an already chaotic U.S. presidential election, with Republicans vowing to replace her on the high court right away and Democrats gearing up for a fight. Americans are gathering outside the U.S. Supreme Court, mourning the death of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, a champion of women, minorities, and gender equality rights. I think that Ruth Bader Ginsburg was a hero, an icon. I think she's such a great example for women. I, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. In 1993, Ginsburg became only the second woman in U.S. history to take a seat on the Supreme Court. She consistently delivered progressive votes on the most divisive social issues of the day. Chief Justice John Roberts says they have lost a jurist of historic stature. Justice Stephen Breyer called her a rock of righteousness. Even U.S. President Donald Trump, never a friend of Ginsburg's, praised her lifelong accomplishments. She led an amazing life. What else can you say? She was an amazing woman, whether you agreed or not. Hours after Ginsburg's death, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said he will move forward with whomever President Trump nominates, a stark turnaround from his position four years ago, when he held up then-President Barack Obama's pick to replace Justice Antonin Scalia for 11 months until Trump took office. Minorities, LGBTQ people, and women's reproductive rights activists are very concerned about the future under a potentially even more conservative Supreme Court. President Trump has tweeted his replacement for Ginsburg will happen in a timely manner. Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden firing back. Voters should pick the president, 
and the president should pick the justice for the Senate to consider. Ginsburg's death will bring more bitter partisan fighting to an already divided Congress. Her legacy, championing against discrimination, will long be remembered, but her death may be a catalyst for a new chapter in American political history. Jennifer Johnson, Global News, Washington. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. It is Alberta's turn to experience smoky skies. Smoke from massive fires burning in the United States and Canada has triggered an air quality advisory for Calgary and all of southern Alberta. It's not only putting a damper on outdoor activities, but it's dangerous for those with respiratory challenges. As we are familiar with Yvonne, nice to actually see a sky behind you. Yeah, the sun was out there today for a few spots across Metro Vancouver. The air quality advisory has ended uh, for Metro Vancouver, the Fraser Valley included within that. And I'll have the smoke forecast and what we can anticipate, especially for many spots in the interior where we're still seeing that local smoke and widespread for the southeastern corners. There's a shot of what it looks like overlooking English Blade. Temperatures are sitting at 18 degrees. We've got an easterly wind at 13 kilometers per hour. It was cooler today for most areas. Highs out of the airport up to 18, 22 in the low 20s for most areas in the interior and across the central half today with Prince George topping out at 15 degrees. Now we are still seeing a few isolated showers uh, this evening and leading in towards the morning hours. It should dry up for the south coast, but the instability is still across the central interior for this evening with the risk of thunderstorms and then in behind it tomorrow, the next system is going to push in along the north coast. It'll be wet and windy and then that same system is going to bring the risk of thunderstorms once again and that'll be across the central interior. Here's the future cast as we put it into place. So the wet weather along the northern half of the province, we are going to see that instability for the afternoon for the central interior and it'll ease off, especially for the southern half. It should remain dry. The following areas though, air quality advisory still in effect the eastern edge of the island and then stretching in towards uh, Williams Lake, the southeastern corners. So those with respiratory issues, we're still seeing that. It'll take some time, but there is a gradual improvement for the interior as we take a look at the smoke forecast and this one a model from Environment Canada and another model showing us a nice break and this is from firesmoke.ca so a gradual improvement and that'll push in but it'll take a lot longer especially for areas that are in the Kootenays so anticipate that if you do have any respiratory issues you will want to limit the amount of time outdoors future cast now this is still a few days out but we're keeping a close eye it'll be late Tuesday Wednesday Thursday Friday we do have a significant amount of rain that is going to push in across the south coast and we could see upwards of 100 millimeters so we'll be watching that very closely and that'll help flush out a lot of the smoke that we're seeing across the area but we've definitely seen an improvement for the start of the weekend with the wet weather. So very wet and windy along the north coast tomorrow. It'll be a cooler day. Highs closer to 14 degrees. It's dry for the northeastern corners, but the winds are going to pick up with the potential to see gusts of up to 40 kilometers per hour. Much of the central interior, the instability picks up afternoon and early evening. Risk of thunderstorms and much of the southern half of the province for tomorrow. We'll start to see some breaks. The Columbia could still see a few isolated showers, but there is smoke, especially for, for example, the Okanagan and the Kootenai tomorrow. Whistler, a cool one, unsettled on and off showers, highs up to 16 degrees. The showers should taper off from much of the south coast, but eastern areas and stretching into the Fraser Valley will still see a fair bit of cloud cover and showers for Sunday. Now, Monday, we do have a few isolated showers, but then the big weather story and system that we're following will be late day Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, periods of rain and heavy at times. For tomorrow morning or through the afternoon, it'll be mainly cloudy and highs closer to 19. Jordan? All right, Evan, thank you. This pair in Arizona is winning hearts around the world. 
That's his chicken. Duke the calf and Rex the chicken have found each other at Amy's Animal Sanctuary. The calf was born without bones in his legs and also has dwarfism. The chicken was being bullied by other chickens. The story of the inseparable duo has, of course, gone viral. Oh, it's like Great something friendship. out of a Disney movie. <laughs> Chickens get bullied. Now you know. Huh. Well, I have you're, a beef with that. <laughs> oh. Mm. Uh, you're also going to tell us about sports. And you have a beef with that pun, I know. Uh, We're just yeah. circling the drain Stanley here now, right? Stanley Cup uh, Finals <laughs> is underway in uh, the Edmonton Hub. Stars and Lightning, so we'll have some uh, early highlights on that one. And the Whitecaps made a player move today, and they're just about to take the pitch, so we'll set that up for you as well. All right, sounds good. Thanks, Perry. When the pandemic started, passengers were struggling to get refunds for travel that was not deemed safe. Now, many flights are being canceled because of low demand. When James Nilsson booked five WestJet tickets for a family vacation to Barbados, he didn't rule out the possibility those flights could be cancelled. He just didn't expect the reason. This wasn't a cancellation that I anticipated. I was thinking more of a cancellation of a travel advisory or the day of travel or a mechanical breakdown or something like that. The tickets were booked August 30th. Then Nielsen received an email from WestJet two weeks later saying their October trip was cancelled and no alternatives were available. They reopened these flights and then they realized that there wasn't enough demand for them. And so it was a demand issue based on you know, their miscalculations of what demand would be like for these flights. He says they did have cancellation insurance through their credit card, but since the airline provided a refund in the form of travel vouchers valid for 24 months, that insurance didn't help. Now the family is trying to get the nearly $4,000 back. In a statement to Global News, WestJet said the Canadian Transportation Agency has clarified airline tariffs do not always provide cash refunds, especially in cases beyond their control, adding the company believes travel credits are an appropriate refund. Owner of Flair Travel, Pat Johnson, reminds customers to be diligent when booking flights during this time. It makes no sense for them to fly a plane with two or six people on it. So flights will get cancelled, dates will get changed, and you have to be prepared and flexible. Nilsson says he understands the need to cancel the flights from a business perspective, but since it was the airline's decision and no service was provided, a cash refund should be an option. From my perspective, it's a demand thing that was within their control, and so there should be no reason why they can't just refund the money back to our credit card so we can take a trip and book with, with who we need to. The family has rebooked with Air Canada. Eloise Terrien, Global News. University sports is in a holding pattern due to the ongoing pandemic, but one university team in the Okanagan is using its first semester to perfect their game. And as Darian Matassafung reports, that meant turning to a top gun in the NBA. It's been deemed a developmental year for the UBC Okanagan men's basketball team after their season was put on hiatus due to COVID-19. We're keeping our fingers crossed that we might get a season, a condensed one that would start in uh, January. So that gives us a unique opportunity this first semester to really just spend some time working on skill. To help develop those crucial skills, UBCO head coach Clayton Pottinger brought in a special coach. We're fortunate enough to have coach Dave Love, who's an NBA, renowned NBA shooting coach, in the gym with us today to help some of these players with their shooting. Second year player Gus Gertzen says it's an experience 
experience he won't be forgetting anytime soon. Definitely special, you know, like this is a guy who's working with the players we watch on TV and he's now in our gym helping me out, so yeah, it means a lot. NBA shooting coach Dave Love is not only helping UBCO players, but along with the Okanagan Heat team and coach Pottinger, he hosted a free coaches clinic for youth basketball coaches in Kelowna. When I was at that level, people gave to me and you've taken that knowledge and, and tried to grow within it. And then if you're lucky enough to get into the situation where people value your input, it's, it's so nice to just to be able to give back and hopefully help the coaches at the youth level improve their skills to improve the, player, uh, the players that they work with. Pottinger says he hasn't heard anything from youth sports, the national governing body of university sports in Canada yet, but he says he's taking it as a good sign that the basketball season hasn't been outright cancelled yet. Darian Matassafung, Global News, Kelowna. All right, starting with hockey and the game on and then also the games to come. Yeah, there's a little bit of news here concerning the future of the NHL. Thanks, Jordan. NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman said today that next season could possibly start in late December or early January and that it could be played in phases, starting with no fans in the buildings, progressing to some fans, socially distanced, and then eventually to full capacity. But as always, it's a fluid situation with COVID. But they will hand out the 2020 Stanley Cup by the end of the month. Game one is underway in Edmonton between the Stars and Lightning. Rick Bonus, former Canucks assistant, now head coach of the Stars, going for his first Stanley Cup. A lot of hockey people in the uh, hockey world cheering hard for him. He's been around for decades. Dallas gets the opening goal. And 29-year-old journeyman defenseman Joel Hanley, first ever NHL goal. It's in the Cup Finals. Zero goals in 48 regular season games before that. Second period, another D-man scores. Jamie Alexiak, and it's 2-1 for the Stars. Now, former Canuck Luke Shen now playing for Tampa. His shot tipped by Braden Point, but off the post. That close to tying it. Stars come back the other way, and it's Yoel. Kivaranta giving the Stars a 3-1 lead, and that's where it stands in the third. The Vancouver Whitecaps have traded Jordy Reyna to D.C. United for $400,000 in allocation money to spend on a player next season. Reyna had been with the Caps since January of 2017. He scored 21 goals. He did have some great moments, but he was not consistent enough. Caps have just kicked off in Salt Lake City. We'll have highlights tonight at 11. Jordy Reyna's new team, D.C. United, taking on Toronto FC tonight. D.C. scored early, but Toronto equalized in the 17th. Alejandro Pozuelo getting the benefit of the friendly bounce, knocks it in. Spaniard ties at 1-1. Then in the 60th, Toronto takes the lead. Io Akinola with the header. And it's 2-1 Toronto. It looked like they were going to get the full three points, but in the 88th, bit of a sloppy play here. Ball headed out right onto the foot of Griffin Yao, who ties it. Even with the draw, TFC moves into second in the Eastern Conference. English Premiership today. Manchester United playing its regular season opener versus Crystal Palace. United was down 2-0 late in the second half, but Donny Van de Beek gets one back to make it 2-1. But Palace supplying the malice for Man U fans. Wilfred Zaha with his second of the match puts it away. Crystal Palace down Man United. 3-1 the final today. The Seahawks play their 2020 home opener tomorrow night with no fans in the stands, but there will be a lot of eyes watching on television as two of the best coaches in the NFL go head-to-head, -head, Bill Belichick and Pete Carroll. Seattle will try to hand New England quarterback Cam Newton his first loss as a Patriot. 
Here's our true patriot, Chanel, in the red zone. It is the marquee matchup in week two as the Patriots and the Seahawks clash in the Sunday Nighter. Now, both teams coming off easy victories in week one and step up in class. Now, in recent years, the Hawks have been one of the most dominant teams at home. But how will they fare Sunday night at an empty CenturyLink field? New England had the number one defense last season, and in week one, they were dominant. Three interceptions and a sack, and allowing just 269 total yards. But that was against the Miami Dolphins. Now they face Russell Wilson, who completed passes to nine different receivers, something the Pats' secondary will need to make adjustments for on Sunday. Cam Newton was impressive in his Patriots debut, running 15 times for 75 yards and two scores. While the Pats do want to establish the run game, don't expect Newton to have as many carries versus Seattle. He was efficient throwing the ball 15 for 19 and 155 yards. The offense will need to be balanced as New England will try to control possession like they did last week. Running back Chris Carson had two touchdowns versus Atlanta, but neither coming on the ground. Now, while they didn't need it in week one, the Hawks will look to establish the run game versus New England as they managed only 84 yards last week, 28 coming from the quarterback. Now, speaking of Russell Wilson, he was tremendous once again, four touchdowns and over 300 passing yards, but he did get sacked three times. While Seattle allowed 434 passing yards, which appears alarming, most came in garbage time in the fourth quarter and the defense did step up, negating four huge stops on fourth down. The Hawks are favored by four, and in the last decade are 12-4 and four against the spread in the month of September. And here's another betting nugget. In the last 10 years, Seattle is 14-1 straight up in home primetime games. But remember, the Hawks won't have the 12th man with them Sunday night. Third round of the U.S. Open from Wingfoot in New York State. Just two Canadians made the cut. One of them, Taylor Pendrith of Ontario, plays on the Corn Ferry Tour full-time. He's had a great year there. Holes out for birdie here at the 14th. Pendrith tied 40th at plus 10. Adam Hadwin tied 38th at 9 over. Anything around par is a great score at the U.S. Open. South African Louis Oosthuizen on the 500-yard par 4, 17th. Out of the rough, great approach to three feet, made birdie. Oosthuizen is in third place at uh, one under after a 68 today. Just one of seven subpar rounds in the field of 62. The big mover, though, Matthew Wolf, the 21-year-old playing in his first U.S. Open, just his second major, just torched the front side, a bogey-free five under 30. He shot to the top of the leaderboard. He's got that quirky trigger to his swing, but it works. Out of the rough on 18, great shot here to 10 feet. Now, Wolf hit just two of 14 fairways, but he was fantastic with his irons. Only made one bogey today, and he completes the job at 18. As he rolls it in for birdie, fires a 5-under 65, tying for the lowest U.S. Open round ever at Wingfoot, and he's got the lead at 5-under par. Meanwhile, bombing Byron DeChambeau, his first two holes, but then recovered. Short birdie attempt at 17, looks like he's missed it, but then it just drops in. Sometimes you need a break. Priceless reaction there from DeChambeau. 
Bryson DeChambeau, did I call him Brian, shot an even par 70. He's in the second at three under, two shots behind Matthew Wolf. 36-hole leader Patrick Reed had a miserable day. He had the lead at the turn but went eight over on the back. Reed now 11th, eight shots back after a seven over 77. Tennis from Rome, quarterfinals of the Italian Open. Canada's Denis Shapovalov taking on Bulgarian Grigor Dimitrov. They split the first two sets, but in the third, Shapovalov jumps all over the second serve, got the early break. He consolidates that break with the serve and volley here, executed perfectly, up three love in the deciding set. Shapovalov's return game is really improving, just much more consistent, actually, in all facets of his game. And he wins it in three sets. He will meet Diego Schwartzman of Argentina in the semis. Schwartzman with the massive upset of Rafa Nadal today. Shapovalov's world ranking, by the way, up to number 10, a career high. And we'll finish with baseball. Blue Jays trying to snap a five-game losing streak in Philadelphia versus the Phillies. Top of the fifth, Travis Shaw gives them a lead, a solo shot here. And Toronto is up 1-0. They haven't had a lot of leads this week, playing against the Yankees and Phillies. But the Phillies answer with two in the bottom of the fifth. Andrew McCutcheon delivers the RBI single off Hun Ryu, who was great except for this inning. Jays lose again 3-1. Their record now 26-26, but their magic number to clinch remains at 6. If they can just win a couple, they should be okay in the playoffs, but struggling right now uh, down the stretch. The baseball regular season ends a week tomorrow. So wow. It's all happening fast. Starting Monday and for the next several weeks, we are taking a look back through the decades as Global BC marks 60 years on the air. Tonight, a preview of that series as this weekend marks 25 years since Rogers Arena opened its doors. It was built without public funding and was then known as GM Place. This station, then known as BCTV, aired a special broadcast for opening day. The following is a live special presentation of BCTV. TV for BC. I do believe uh, that the business community, that the fans, uh, the entertainers and performers, uh, the city and the aldermen are very, very supportive of this. This particular building and this area right here uh, puts us in a world class as far as facilities are concerned. I've said this for years. Uh, when people ask me about the arena downtown, I say, look it. Uh, the expression is build it and they'll come, but build it downtown. I didn't really have a lot of input from my family. It was my decision. Uh, I, I knew that we needed a new arena. Uh, my father wasn't really convinced. Uh, uh, once I realized that there was going to be so-called opposition to that, I just said, look, uh, then what I will do is try to restructure everything and buy the team and then therefore build the arena. I, you know, I worked very closely with the city staff uh, of Vancouver once we picked our sites. One of the uh, obstacles uh, was actually convincing the downtown east side and Strathcona communities that this was a good thing for them. So in the construction phase and subsequently the operational side of the arena, we created a job program called Blade Runners. That was a real important step in the process, not just because it was the right thing to do, but it made the political decisions, made it a lot easier for them to say, oh, we're going to have jobs. You do, I do catch myself I, 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 inside the building or even outside. Or, you know, I have a, I have a daughter that uh, was not born then. She'll go up sometimes and she'll be driving around or walking around or going in and she'll be pointing up. She goes, Griffiths Way, what's that? So that's the kind of thing that I, I get a kick out of. But it, uh, it's one of those things that... Uh, 
it, it, it's surreal. It really is. Today, a 35, 38-year-old Arthur, would he have done it? I don't know. Um, just glad we did. Very neat look back. And lots more to come over the next few weeks as we mark that milestone here at Global. Arthur changed his glasses from yeah, the last he did, time. Yeah, <laughs> Back in the early 90s. So. Yeah. Retro. With the times. Yes. <laughs> Good to see him, though. Uh, this past week here at Global, we featured kids with special needs who needed support, who needed the life-changing equipment and services that Variety helps provide. And when we told you of one girl who required a specialized wheelchair, our viewers came through. Multiple donors stepped forward and responded, not only providing a chair for Jenna, but clearing the wait list of every single wheelchair currently needed by a child. It is that kind of generosity that's allowed Variety to help 1,011 kids. But we don't want it to end there. The phone lines are still open at 310 Kids, and you can always go online to variety.bc.ca. And thank you, BC. Quick word on weather before we go, Yvonne. Uh, we are seeing a drier day tomorrow. Should be uh, an improved air quality, mainly cloudy, and then some rain in the long range as we get in towards next week. Sounds good. That's the news hour. We'll see you at 11. Good night.